0: Welcome to Transfo.
1: Hi, Heather. Thank you.
0: Today we have Craig Dunn with us. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your relationship to travel.
1: Well, as a kid, we didn't travel a lot outside of Australia or even out of Sydney, where I grew up. Everything was kind of like road trips to caravan parks and like camping. And I guess I was probably 16 before I took up my first plane trip, which was like to an hour away like to another city so the world seemed very big and very remote to me as a kid you know if I knew of another kid that went to Disneyland I was like oh my god (laughs) you went to another country
0: because it seemed really far away to you
1: not only did it seem far away it seemed unattainable like it was kind of like I couldn't imagine that my family would ever Be able to afford to (laughs) travel that sort of distance or do that. Um, And we had lots of great vacations, but they were all, you know, within three hours of where we lived. And they were often to the beach and occasionally to the mountains. Um, And they were all beautiful spots that I love going back to even now. But, you know, that whole childhood time until like I was finished high school basically was in a very small part of the world. And then, like, after I finished university, And I worked in Sydney for a couple of years. And just through another whole random set of events, I got an invitation to work overseas in Canada. And in a very short space of time for like such a kind of big life changing thing, suddenly I was living on the east coast of Canada, like in like the space of a couple of months. So I was twenty three years old, I think, and I'd gone from really not being much outside of Sydney or that part of Australia to okay I'm living in Canada and at the same time as doing that I was like well while I'm moving jobs I'll also book a European bus tour you know like the Contiki but not Kontiki, <laughs> 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 bus tour across Europe for, for two months wow. and so I went from like being very isolated to like oh wow this is a this is a really big place the world.
0: So you did that before you moved to Canada or I just basically after?
1: flew to Canada with my bags and kind of dropped them off and went to Europe and then came back to Canada and started the job. That's so incredible. It was, it was yeah, it was such a big change and like such an eye-opening experience and I was scared. <laughs> <and> <laughs> yeah, like no doubt. nervous and
0: was it wild to take a really long plane ride to Canada and then having never been on a plane ride mm-hmm. that far and then drop your bags and take another decently long plane ride to Europe? Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe not quite as far, but still a big yeah, trip.
1: I, yeah, so not having kind of any reference point for the difference between like flying from Sydney to Brisbane to flying from Sydney to LA. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, like it's a total other world. Yeah, I was on that plane, you know, thinking, oh, what am I doing kind of thing. When I think back now with all of these years of experience and (laughs) to me, like at 23, that was such a big change. Like it was a big deal at the time. And I look back and I think that was such a good decision to take that step when I was deciding to do it. Like it was not given that I would move to Canada, that I would travel around Europe. It was like 50, 50, would I be too scared to take the leap? But yeah, looking back on it now, obviously, it was fantastic.
0: Yeah, it's really hard to change your whole life and move even to a different city where you might not know anyone new, Mm -hmm. but especially to a new country and not having traveled that far.
1: Honestly, when I look back sometimes, I can't believe that I did it. I guess I'm glad that at the time, you know, I had lots of friends and people encouraging it. Like, you know, wise people that say, oh, yeah, you should travel when you get the opportunity. And, you know, that's exactly the same advice that I dole out to people now, (laughs) like I work with people that are much younger than me and you know i always use any opportunity i get to tell them to do kind of follow that same path because yeah you regret 100 of the shots you don't take to quote some sports person (laughs) (laughs) yeah
0: yeah i think it's wild that you really don't know what you're jumping into when you travel for the first time Mm -hmm. and so you're kind of like oh people are telling me to do this but i don't know what that is until you kind of go for it and experience the things that you discover when you travel to a new place.
1: And that's why people, I think, need to be encouraged. Because sometimes the people that will get the most out of it, like a shy kind of introverted person like me back then, needed to have a push. And yeah. and travel does strange things to you. Like when you realize that it's not scary, but it's eye-opening and, and you learn a lot, you change.
0: Yeah. So do you have a travel story to tell us today?
1: Yeah, it's funny. I had a couple of stories in mind because over time since that first like big trip and and living in Canada and kind of traveling in Europe also kind of traveling a lot around North America when I lived in Canada mm-hmm. and then you know going back to Australia and I was super lucky to travel again for work into parts of Asia and then after a few years I started running and training for marathons and traveling for marathons a lot and I feel like that's a whole other story like I've got all these marathon traveling stories <laughs> but now that we've started talking about Europe and like the growth of travel it's reminded me of a different story which is like a contrast between the first and the second time that I went to Spain so the first time I went to Spain was part of this European trip and I, re- I really like the country but I didn't really expect to be traveling there you know a few months prior to that I was just in Sydney just doing my thing <laughs> and yeah. working with these cool Canadian guys that ultimately offered me the job over there and so suddenly two months later I'm on this you know bus going across Europe and like i said i was like just wide-eyed and, and agog of everything in europe like visiting london and then visiting all of the cathedrals across europe and the sites of paris and then so we drove through from place to place and it was kind of you know torturous when i look back now particularly having traveled lots of different modes but you know just sitting on a bus for 10 hours you know doing this mad rush from big city to big city because you know those cheap tours are they're kind of cheap in, in some ways <laughs> And so, you know, everything was rushing by my face, you know, all of the, the the landscape would be going by in the bus and then you'd stop and get into a cheap hotel and get out of a cheap hotel. And you didn't choose the hotel and you didn't really choose where you ate, um, but you still got to get a good experience. And those tours, some people don't like them, but I have very fond memories of being pushed around Europe um, <laughs> to do all this crazy stuff. But at the same time, and I particularly remember it in Spain because... Some places have a lot more. Just generally, people can speak English. Um, I found in Germany and in Belgium, it's very easy to get along, which makes you comfortable and you, you feel like more outgoing and you, you feel like you can explore. Mm-hmm. But then when we got into Spain, it didn't feel as open in that way. Like the people were very friendly, mm-hmm. and we got routed into nice places that we saw, and it was very beautiful. But people were generally speaking Spanish. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> and you know, so I felt less comfortable to explore and it took a while for me to and you're only there for a few days but it took mm-hmm. it, it was harder for me to appreciate the sights and you know it's a beautiful architecture and we visited Madrid and Barcelona and you know I liked it but I didn't feel comfortable there um, so we saw lots of lots of great sights but you know I was always very conscious of the time it's like oh when is the bus leaving what what's the route back to the bus where they dropped us off I have to remember to like be able to find my way back and then you know i'd feel relaxed when i got back to <laughs> the bus or back to with the group after being off on our own exploring because you know i was you know my heart rate was elevated when i was in a city in a country where i didn't speak the language and um i was trying to enjoy myself but, you know i was young and it was all so big and so obviously yeah, i came away from that trip with very fond memories And traveled a bit over time and did different places. But I was, because of my nature and personality, normally very organized about my travel. And many years later, I'm going to say 10, it might have been 15, but some long period after that, I got encouraged. A friend of mine from Australia was planning to visit Spain. She's actually very well traveled as well. And she was like, oh, we should meet up there. And I was like, yeah, that sounds good. And actually this kind of intersects with a marathon running story. The reason we could meet up there was because I was in Boston doing the Boston Marathon for the first time. And so I was like, oh, let's just do a side trip where I fly from Boston to Spain and Spain back to Boston, and it'll be great. So here was the challenge. It's like, okay, I'm gonna try and do what many people just do when they travel, like particularly people straight out of school when they go backpacking and so on, which is to not book anything.
0: And it's pretty much
1: the only time in my life I've ever done travel that disorganized. (laughs) So there was a little bit of a safety net in that I was meeting my friend, Kedra, about halfway through the trip. We were going to spend two weeks in Spain, Mm -hmm. but we're meeting halfway through. So I had a week where I had to land in Madrid and find my way to Cordoba. And there was nothing booked and nothing organized. And so literally it was just get off the plane in Madrid. And then it was like the amazing race. I have to find my way (laughs) to Cordoba and meet up with her without, you know, like having anything planned.
0: So you're running a race and then you're yeah. running an and another, race. yeah, <laughs> exactly.
1: So, you know, I was on a big high from, you know, I planned and trained and did the marathon. But because then I was, you know, at a different stage in my life, I was like, you know what, I should try to learn a bit of Spanish. And I had done different language training and courses um, because I'd had a job in a localization related field for a little while. So it was kind of exciting, but also like, For the first time in travel since that time when I was 23, I was kind of scared of it again. Like, ooh, is this gonna work out? Um, You know, what will I do? So literally, you know, got off the plane in Madrid. And one of the the affordances I made for this was like, okay, if you don't know what you're doing, you should get the flight to Madrid that lands you there at like six in the morning. So you have a whole day to screw up and <laughs> find something, you know, find some accommodation so you're not sleeping on the street. Yeah. So I, I landed at Madrid in the morning and while I was even on the plane, I was like, okay, starting to plan in my head, what am I gonna do? Should I stay in Madrid a few days first or should I? It was extremely challenging to me, but it reminded me, like I said, of the, the feeling I had of being kind of scared and excited about travel from the first time I, I left Australia. So I landed in Madrid, I kind of looked around and I kind of immediately, I think there was there might have been a train station in or near to the airport. And I was like, immediately falling into the not trap, but like, oh, it'll be easier for me to just get a train somewhere now that I'm here and it's like okay, I'll just yeah. get the train Oh actually we actually met in Seville. But so I'll get the train to Cordoba and stay there a few days and then you know, I'll be making my way south to where we're supposed to meet and it's kinda lazy because I don't have to stay or find anything in Madrid. So I thought, ah, oh, this will be great. So Automated ticket machine, so my first challenge passed. I don't have to speak Spanish. to <laughs> Find <laughs> transport, just beep, 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 and get the you know super fast European trains that they have, like 300 kilometers an hour. So that was also a first. And in a couple of hours later, so still early on that same day that I landed, with no plans, I'm in Cordoba and I've got my backpack, and I'm feeling pretty good at this point because I've you know achieved the first thing, which is do something unplanned. And I had a you know guidebook and you know no mobile phone this is <laughs> this is still pre-iphone I should be clarifier you know so it's kind of old school like trying to find stuff in in the ba- in those days so yeah. i have a guidebook that i flick through and i start like looking for backpackers near to the train station in cordoba which i just am walking out of and turns out there's like it's some religious festival week and the f- backpackers that i go in and they speak some english or you know we can communicate enough and it's like, oh, they're all booked, like, because local, you know, Spanish travelers are all in the city <laughs> for this festival. And I'm like, oh, suddenly this non-planning thing does not seem like such a good idea. And I can't, I, you know, in my mind, I, you know, wandered the streets for hours, like trying 100 backpackers. I'm pretty sure it was like three <laughs> <laughs> on the fourth one. It was this really nice woman behind the counter and, you know, also not great English, but we can communicate. And she's like, nope, like nothing. And then she thinks, like, she knows someone else that operates a different backpackers and she's like, oh, ask my friend. And I I sit there, like, kind of not knowing how this is going to end, where I'm going to be sleeping that night. And she calls a friend and they have a room and she gives me directions and Cordoba, the downtown of Cordoba is this amazing, like, like, total European, like, windy roads and cobblestones and colorful the spanish like white and orange and colors and everything it's really it's, um, it was so pretty but also terrible for finding directions because it's like you know that exact maze thing yeah. that you can imagine so i you know find my way gradually through through this maze and i turn up to this other place and um I'm sure it had Naranji in the name as well like it was so long ago but knock on the door and get in and she's like at first no and then like oh yeah the phone call and she had a spot for me and i went upstairs and it was mid-afternoon it was actually really hot so i was also like sweaty and, and i just lie down on the bed and it's like ah oh, and that sense of relief of achieving my first totally non-planned Non English getting somewhere and finding accommodation without having, you know, done it all in advance. It was kind of felt good and, I, and also a yeah. massive relief. Okay, I'm not sleeping on the streets tonight. And, and yeah,
0: you set a challenge for yourself and you found a way to achieve it, even with all the parameters of having this crazy festival in town and not speaking the language.
1: Yeah. And, and then I just sat there and I was on the bed for a while and, and, I, and a part of me didn't want to go back outside. <laughs> it's like, oh, no, I've, I've got it. I'm here. And then I was like, oh, no, I have to eat. You know, I have to like see the sites and so on um so i you know dumped my bag and grabbed the guidebook and the camera and kind of i I always have this feeling about not trying not to look like a tourist so you know i kind of pack Mm -hmm. them up and don't have like all the obvious stuff hanging around my neck Mm -hmm. and you know trotted off and trying to find my way downtown and you know saw some sites and i ended up in cordoba there's like a river or a creek that's like a big river but there's not much water in it and a bridge across it you know I'm there taking photos and just looking around and someone local guy comes up to me and just starts talking in Spanish (laughs) like I might have been able to understand someone very slowly trying to say something like do you want a drink or (laughs) can I get you a room? Um, But, you know, he was like, da, 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 da. And because he could tell, obviously, I was a tourist, but I guess he assumed I was a Spanish tourist, like the festival and so on. Yeah. I must have then looked really blank because he kind (laughs) of realized what happened. And he started like sign languaging to me to go up like at the end of the bridge, like there's a a tower and you you can go up the tower to like get obviously a better view and take photos. So he somehow gestured to me and I figured out what he was saying was to don't take photos here, um, go up and take photos from the tower. And so when you go up the tower, you get this like better view of like all of Cordoba and the bridge and the river canyon thing and and then so that felt like oh like I accomplished something else like just totally randomly and again without English or without you know no English and that but just like pointing and that whole trip is you know filled with like these little achievements you know the world is much more interconnected now and I think people feel much like travel is much easier and I'm, I'm, I'm sure that it's just like water off a duck's back for lots of kids to travel and backpack and just think oh you know this will be fine and you know they just go and attack it but, like I said, for me, this was a, you know, it felt like a big deal and it took me back to, you know, my early, early travel days. So these little achievements that I ticked off and, you know, each one gave me more confidence to do the next one. So I went back to the hotel, the backpackers, and then kind of asked them where I should eat. And, you know, got a direction to go and find. pick the most simple, obvious thing off the menu and try and really listen really hard to pay so I don't get ripped off. <laughs> <laughs> All the things that you kind of think about when you're in a foreign country and, and, and you really don't speak the language that well. And yeah, each thing, you know, just built up and, you know, gradually get more and more relaxed and in, can enjoy it more and more and feel more and more at home in a country where you can't speak the language and, and everything is new because it's so foreign, like the buildings and the street. And yeah, and so it's like, okay, this good. I, I managed to spend a few days in Cordoba, I walked back to the train station, you know, negotiated another ticket with the machine to, <laughs> to go down to, to Seville and find another place accommodation there you know we somehow arranged I mean at least there was email back then Um, you know we arranged through like internet kiosks to actually meet up with my friend Kedra and we spent some time in Seville and then the two of us kind of then continued on the challenge of not having anything organized so we caught the train back to Madrid and then we wanted to go up to Bilbao and the Guggenheim Museum, like, it was like, we want to do something that we we'd not done before. And so together we were like, okay, the train back to Madrid was easy. Then it turns out it's really hard to get from Madrid to Bilbao. There's no high-speed train. Well, mm-hmm. Maybe there is today. And so we're like, what are we going to do? So we did that thing that you do when you're traveling and backpacking and trying to save money. We're like, well, we'll get the overnight bus because that will <laughs> save us a night of accommodation. And, you know, we'll get there in the morning. And so, you know, it was kind of hard to get the ticket because it had to be in a ticket window, but the two of us together kind of signing and speaking broken Spanish from school, we got the ticket. And then it was the bus ride that you can imagine, like a lo- just a local bus that you sit in for 10 hours or something. <laughs> and you think you're gonna sleep, but you don't sleep. And you do save a night's accommodation, but you get there and you're like crooked and sore. And <laughs> But again, like it was another achievement and mm-hmm. we ended up in Bilbao, And then, you know, we found accommodation there. Neither of us really had a good idea about the history of that town. So when we got there and we learned about the Basque people and like the history of Northern Spain, like there was all this stuff that we learned while we were there that we didn't know about as tourists landing in Madrid. And, um, you know, we saw the museum, um, that city had a brand new subway system, which was just amazing. So yeah, we just sort of learned all this stuff. And then we went back to madrid we had an opportunity to get a, a local train back instead of the local bus so it was kind of like a different form of cramped rattly transport <laughs> but again like we got the ticket and we figured out how to give the conductor the thing <laughs> when he came by without getting booted off the train and the very last thing i remember as like the crowning achievement of this whole trip was we got into madrid and it was a bi- it's you know it was a big city and we we're at the train station We're like okay we've got to find accommodation but wandering around like I did in Cordoba wasn't gonna cut it. So like, okay, I'm gonna like pull out all of my high school Spanish and go to a phone box and like ring backpackers like close to where we were and try wow. and book something over the phone. And Kedra's there like listening to me. Again, it feels like I called around a hundred places. It was probably three. <laughs> um, <laughs> but for sure, one of them just hung up. Like they, they they answered and you know, they couldn't understand me and I couldn't understand them and they were like, Meh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. And I don't know if I I'm pretty sure I called another one and it wasn't a hang up, but it was like a you know no no, yeah. no you know, no vacancy or whatever it was and then but like one or maybe it was a third one we managed to communicate enough to book in spanish over the phone you wow. know like um una noches um what i you know, my, my spanish is worse now than what's up but you know just enough <laughs> yeah to do it over the phone and then like it was from a guidebook so we made our way there and but, you know we finished in madrid and then we flew our separate ways um, i went back to boston to use my return trip back home Um, And I think she was hanging around Europe or whatever. But that whole trip was like basically just, you know, some random ideas, you know, to land but to not have anything booked, to meet up halfway and and just keep exploring. Yeah, I felt really pleased with myself. <laughs> you should be. It's and a
0: lot to be so spontaneous when traveling. Yeah,
1: if it's not your personality, like if you if you generally like being planned and and all of that stuff, it was yeah, it was challenging, but it was rewarding. And then I I, so I very fondly remember that um, that whole trip and those cities and vividly remember this first backpackers that I stayed in like I can visualize the staircase in the tiny room and the single bed and probably more than some other trips I've done which were just you know all organized on Expedia yeah (laughs) because
0: you worked harder at it
1: yeah that was definitely one of my fondest kind of trips
0: that's awesome So do you think that today if you were to go to a new country or even a country that maybe you've been to in the past, but take another spontaneous trip like that where you don't plan things, would you be able to do it or do it with more confidence?
1: I think I would be more confident about doing it, but I just know my personality. Like sometimes I will choose to be organized because mm-hmm. it will remove a level of stress in a way. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I have this idea in my head that yeah, soon I'll be able to travel back to Europe. And there's part of me that would like to kind of recreate that trip or something like it, you know, in France or in Spain or, you know, somewhere that I have very fond memories of the city, but I feel like I could do more exploring. But the one thing I will always try and do more in the future of, and i learned it from the first time I was in Europe and I kind of practiced a little bit for that story, was really trying to learn some of the language even if Mm -hmm. it's just the stuff in the guidebook because even the little tiny amount that I had for bumbling through getting a hotel on the phone and the occasional like waiter interaction where you've got just enough to get through a whole waiter interaction in Spanish is you know kind of a really good feeling even if that you suspect they speak English, that achievements unlocked <laughs> is, yeah. is kind of fun. So I really, you know, I've traveled to, to Mexico and Cuba as well. And before those trips, I really spent time trying to understand more Spanish. I kind of and traveled to Japan before. And for both of those, I kind of did six-month adult education courses about the language. Yeah. And so that's the one thing that I, I would recommend if I'm talking to someone and they think about traveling like that. It's like it's very, it just adds to the rewarding experience if you can find the time to really try and do something with the language as well.
0: Yeah, and I think that most people really appreciate it that you're trying, even mm-hmm. if you are you have the most imperfect language skills or You really only have the basic skills of saying, hello, my name is and how are you? And I'll order a glass of water. Mm -hmm. Those can go a long way. And I think that a lot of countries, people really appreciate that as a tourist, you're trying to at least connect a little bit and you can have genuine connections with people, even if you have only beginner to intermediate language skills. Mm -hmm. So that's a great tip. So do you just plan your trips around marathons? I for mean, it's a good experience For excuse. a number of years, yeah. yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so Mexico and and Cuba were a trip that I, I tacked on to the end of doing the, the first time I did the New York marathon. Oh, wow. And so that was super exciting. Uh, and again, it's like, you know, big effort. And I thought, well, the first thing I did was marathon dates don't move. So it's kind of like, you know, you book everything around some event. So mm-hmm. fly to New York, get super stressed about. Running a marathon and then run it and then feel really good about it,
0: mm-hmm. and then
1: you know do you reward yourself with some sort of holiday, and so yeah, so I did the the marathon and, and did that and then flew back down to LA and then flew to to Mexico and did like a small like semi private bus across Mexico great experience and by that time i traveled a bit and I felt much more comfortable with the whole deal. <laughs>
0: yeah, and you knew the language,
1: and I felt yeah a yeah. lot more comfortable with the language and practicing with the guide. And, and he, you know, like you said, he was kind of cool that, you know, at least I knew a little bit about a little bit of Spanish more than yeah. the, sort of the other people that I was with and so on.
0: Yeah, you can learn a lot just from small conversations with people. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you learn a lot more about the culture or about the people that are living in a place and how they view the world, which you don't get the opportunity when you don't speak the language. There's plenty of countries that I've visited that I don't speak the native language or don't speak much past the basics, but there's no way for you to really know what people are are living like without talking with them yep so that's one thing that it's hard to miss out on as a traveler because If you don't speak the language, you're just inherently missing some of the experience. And obviously, you can't learn every language in the world, but (laughs) to know a little bit can help.
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah, the Lonely Planet guides or, you know, the back of the guidebooks are always a good start. And I mean, now everyone has mobile phones and there's Duolingo Mm -hmm. and all sorts of tools. Yeah. I mean, probably the barrier is finding the time, but that's why I think it's like, just do it, just find it, do it on the plane, do it on your commute. Yeah. It's a really high payback for when you actually are traveling
0: yeah for a low input of just some hours each day or a few hours in total just learning the basics I think that it's really awesome that you have a hobby that you're very passionate about which is running marathons and that you travel around marathons I think that's a really cool way to travel to kind of take two things that you really like and combine mm-hmm. them and have an excuse to do both of them. Yep, yep. Um, That's a unique situation, which I should do more of. I should find hobbies. I'm not a runner, but I should find hobbies that I can plan my yeah. travel. Well, here. I guess,
1: you know, you can, things like um, art and music are often the hobbies that people use to inspire their travel. You know? Yeah. Like, particularly in Europe, obviously, um, you know, there's so many places that are inspired by or are the origin of, Mm-hmm. various art movements and musical history and so on it's interesting yeah so you just reminded me of another trip which I, I can tell you about which is a running related trip that was specifically and wholly about the running but in uh, Siem Reap in Angkor Wat a, a Japanese company coincidentally and the history is basically around you know Japan provides a lot of aid to to country to some third world countries you know, I saw evidence of that in in Bhutan as well but in uh cambodia they provide aid for um sweeping and kind of medicine and so on and so this tour group company had set up like a half marathon that actually kind of runs through angkor wat and they, they advertise it in australia australia and japan have a very close relationship with like running like a lot of uh japanese athletes come to events at home and then there's a lot of advertising to get Australian athletes to go to Japan uh, oh, cool. because we have complimentary seasons. Like when it's too hot to run in Australia, you can do it in Japan, <laughs> uh, That's vice nice. versa. Um, so I somehow found out about this. And so I went to, I bought a package with the travel company, you know, understanding that some of it is fundraising for um, mine sweeping and for, you know, medical expenses and so on for people in Cambodia. They still like step on mines and you know, there's many problems. Um, so it seemed like a good cause and it also seemed like a fun way to kind of see Angkor Wat. Yeah. So I flew over there and I kind of bought the 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 super tour, which was actually still also super cheap because the, the, the exchange rate and so on. So I flew in there and I had a, my own personal guide for, for three days. Wow. And it was – I didn't have a chance to learn the language, but I had this – like individual who's obviously studied English and learned English, showing me around Angkor Wat, driving me around, telling me the story of his family and his parents and like the history of his family through all of the problems that Cambodia had. And it was, you know, sad, but inspiring and like interesting. And he was, you know, really friendly. And um, so on the race day, he drove me like to where the start was. And um, I gave him my camera, I was like, can you take, if you see me, you know, if you see me, you know, can you take (laughs) photos of me? Um, and I didn't know what it would be like. I didn't know how many people would be there. And it was, it was amazing. Like it's, you s- it started very early in the morning. Um, it was super hot and like humid. Um, not great conditions for, you know, really enjoying running. But it was running through this like amazing world heritage like landmark. It was yeah. crazy. And along the side there were like, you know, locals just cheering and like they had kids handing out water and the kids would run by you and hand you the water, but they would then run by you hoping that you would just give them the bottle back, like there was bottled water. And so you, you give them the bottle back and then they would drink the water. <laughs> it was really cute. And, you know, they had their hands out for high fives and so like tuk tuk, tuk, tuk high fives <laughs> along the way. So it was amazing. It was so cool. I, I just remember, I vividly remember lots of like visuals of that run and like just running through that um, landmark. And I presume that, you know, it's, you know, it's not destroying the landmark. Yeah. There's a lot of traffic on those roads, but it was basically closed. It was, yeah it was so cool it became clear to me while i was running that you know i was training a lot back then and um there were not many people around me (laughs) as i was running and when i came back it was a big loop um i realized that there weren't that many people ahead of me and the story doesn't have that happy ending like i didn't win but like i came (laughs) (laughs) i was like Third or fourth. Wow. Right? Because, I mean, it's again, it's a small, like, it's a tourist race. It's not like, you know, the world championships or anything. Still. And so my guide was waiting at the finish line, and I don't know how he really knew, but he had photos of me finishing. And like, it was like I was there with, you know, someone that I, had known forever and were, like was a very close friend. He was like so happy for me, and he was telling all of the other guides and the people. I think he was <laughs> it telling that I came first, even though I didn't. But he was so excited for me, <laughs> and he like, was that's telling, "Guy, yeah, like, he's and a celebrity. it yeah. was, it was just so fun um, to have that like interaction." Because I was there by myself. I just flew up from Australia. I literally flew up three, three or four days there of sightseeing in Siem Reap and then um, flew home and did after doing the run. Um, but it was just a total random running holiday. Um, that again like i have really fond memories of and yeah it's totally bizarre but that
0: sounds like such an incredible opportunity it sounds like such a cool thing to sign up for just to begin with mm-hmm. but the fact that you had such a fun time and you made such a close connection with the guide I think that it will probably always be a memory that you keep <laughs> yes. and like those pictures probably remind you of how fun it was for him to sit at the finish line and take pictures of you and seem so proud of you yeah
1: that's one thing I guess you do find with travel is turns out there are a lot of friendly people around the world. You know, people come back from a country and say, oh, yeah, the people were really friendly. But I feel like I say that every time I come back from somewhere. And if you, I think if you take that with you, um, you know, that's what you find.
0: Yeah, I think that's a very good point. And I think too that sometimes when I'm in my day to day and you just, live the big city life and you walk past strangers all the time and they walk past you or drive past you you do feel like people aren't very friendly or you kind of feel some distance like everyone feels like a stranger Mm -hmm. and so strangely when i travel i sometimes get that humanity back of like associating strangers with real people again because i can connect with them sometimes in different ways when I'm traveling. And I don't know why exactly that is, if it's just that you feel like, oh, people in these other places are really nice. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I always feel like people are friendly when I travel, Yeah. so. Yeah,
1: I think it's something about being out of your routine. Like you're forced to look at everyone differently. You're not as likely to be looking at the street or looking at your phone and like scurrying. Yeah. Uh, When your eyes are up and everything is new, then I think that reflects on the people around you as well. That's my guess.
0: Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> you're, you're not hurrying to get somewhere yeah so I always ask my guests what is your favorite thing about traveling Craig there's a lot of things I like um, I think
1: the opening of eyes like when you get somewhere and you see something new you learn something about people um, you learn how small the world is I think that really informs people's kind of perspective on recycling and global warming and stuff like that and you know realizing that people are people everywhere like I said people are friendly everywhere makes the world feel smaller and makes it feel like it's more important for us all to protect it so i think that's probably my favorite thing like you find yourself changed by that um it changes your opinions it changes your like the way you see the world Mm -hmm. um and so that's another reason why like i said i encourage people to travel and to take that opportunity because if everyone had that opportunity and that empathy i think the world would be a better place
0: I agree with that. I couldn't have said it better. Well, thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast today.
1: Thank you for inviting me. That's fun.
0: Yeah, I had a lot of fun too. Globetrotters. Thanks for listening to Transpo, the travel inspiration podcast. If you want more Transpo in your life, you can visit us at Transpo.com, follow us on Instagram or Twitter, where our handle is at Transpocast, or email us at transpocast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Also, when you have the chance, please head to transpocom review and leave us an iTunes review so that other listeners can discover our podcast too and get inspired for their next adventure. Thanks for coming along for the journey.